Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with fascinating people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Dr. Jeffrey DeBelco, professor and associate dean at the Voinovich School for Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Dr. DeBelco also is a senior advisor for environmental issues at the Wilson Center in Washington, D.C. Dr. DeBelco explains for us the massive upheaval in U.S. climate change policies in the first 100 days of President Joe Biden's presidency. Jeff, you it's been a while since you and I have uh, talked uh, about climate change and and the impact that it has. Uh, The last time we talked, uh, if I recall, it was when many of the governmental programs were being dismantled under the Trump administration. Now, since January 20th, and President Biden has taken over, as a layperson, I feel like Biden's undoing what Trump did for four years after Trump undid what Obama did for eight years. Is that accurate? Tom, I think that's absolutely accurate. Um, the The Trump administration was a, a significant uh, departure from what Obama was doing, uh, the Obama administration, and uh, Biden is a, a very significant departure from from Trump. Trump administration really put um, the regulated in the seat of the regulators, hiring lobbyists um, to run government agencies and departments that were responsible for um, for the environment and regulating the environment and use of natural resources. They uh, explicitly in many areas weakened regulations or rescinded rules that were meant to protect the environment or take uh, kind of cl- climate smart steps. Um, even when the rules and laws remained in place, there was a dramatic decline in enforcement of cases. On the international front, uh, the United States uh, withdrew from the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, and then I think, you know, uh, probably getting less attention, but also quite meaningful, a reduction or elimination of funds for research and developing technologies and processes that will help um us address the challenge of a warmer world in the 21st century and also be economically competitive in that in that space as well. This undoing of the Trump legacy uh, 
for President Biden, he's doing a, what seems, as, as a layperson, outsider, it seems like he's doing a lot quickly in the first 100 days. Um, is there a danger that he's getting too far ahead of where the population is, or do you think his actions are reflecting the general population? Well, I think he he heard uh, quite clearly during the election, um, during the campaign, that climate change was at the front and center of a priority for a large segment of his um, supporters or would-be supporters. And so I think he drew um, the message that there was a mandate for action on this by the the people who saw it as a priority and and as a result voted him um, critical to voting him in to be president. So you're absolutely right that it is um, extensive, widespread, and immediate with a full agenda across government. I would say that it probably is um, notable and uh, if not historic and how wide ranging the approach is. Um, historically, it has often been the case that the agencies and departments that have environment or natural resources or climate change in their title are the ones who did it. And the ones that didn't have that explicit charge um, were either not involved or remained marginal. Um, the, a big distinction for what um, President Biden announced literally within a week to 10 days of, of taking office um, crosses all agencies and departments and does it in a way that has specific roles and expectations that um, cross the expected places, but also you know significant leadership and priority in places like the Treasury Department, the Energy Department, the Defense Department, as well as creating some new offices, particularly at the White House, that bring in some experienced heavy hitters to reflect the priority that the Biden administration is giving to these issues. Clearly, the president and the vice president stand in favor of these monumental changes towards a more effective way of dealing with climate change. Uh, and and that is totally meaningful. But are we just returning to the Obama stage? Uh, not that that was bad, but uh, are we just returning there, or has Biden got his new spin on things? So I think I think it's fair to say that um, yes, it's a return to Biden, but frankly, just a, or excuse me, a return to the Obama administration. But really, just at the very end, we see this all of government, cross government, um, a set of mandates, primarily domestically, um, and and literally within the last few months of that administration. So. While um, the approach is common, there really wasn't the time or the resources spent for implementing in this much bigger strategy. So the targets that um, President Biden is setting are much more ambitious than the um, uh, Biden, the Obama administration in many respects. Um, it is um, not, I would say, of course, it's early and it remains to be seen, but there seems to be real likelihood that will go beyond kind of speeches down into really nitty gritty, detailed in the weeds areas of implementation and, um, and, and budgeting and putting resources 
to mean that it really will be significantly different. There, it's not that there aren't tremendous challenges, particularly if it's um, steps that require action by both houses of, of uh, the Congress. Um, and so Congress is definitely a challenge, but um, this, is, this is, I think, a, a departure that is notably different than the Obama administration. One of the things that uh, I think is notably different, again, to an outsider, is this uh, not only catching up, but going forward. After being behind for four years, uh, is that doable to catch up and go forward at the same time? Well, I think we have no choice but to go forward. Um, I think there'll be some areas where opportunities have been lost and uh, the sense of catching up to, uh, say, on the international front, other countries that have been systematically and significantly investing in renewable energy technologies. That's kind of right? Yeah, we're, we're China, Europe. Um, these are, these are um, growing markets that have significant investment when, when um, back to 2008, 2009, and then in the more recent downturn associated with COVID, um, other governments decided to make those big uh, uh, pushes to, for public money as part of recovery to have in mind uh, preparing for renewable energy and climate smart ways forward. Um, whereas we, we largely eschewed those sorts of directions that approach is central to, for example, the proposed infrastructure approach, which in many ways will be, at least as, as the Biden administration will propose it, will be central to advancing and with, with these green infrastructure goals in mind, the kind of investment that others have been doing now for, for quite a few years. And so um, there's lots to catch up on, but uh, it is, um, it is a promising start that it is across the board approach rather than a siloed single sector approach to the challenges. Let's talk a little bit about justice and, and equity um, and climate resilience. You know, if you read anything about uh, the Biden approach to climate change, uh, you see that he's supposedly prioritizing justice and equity you know, as as the average person, I, I don't know what the hell that means. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. What what? Yeah, translate the, that. What? How is that important to me? Well, I think it, what it suggests is that it is it is connecting um, two really important areas of public focus and public priority that have often been seen apart but really should be seen as together. So that's a, a, that's a, a kind of demands for uh, justice and more equitable treatment of a wide range of, of kind of historically disadvantaged populations in, in the United States, as well as, as well as diversifying and making sure that responses to climate change uh, serve all segments of our population. So that means that um, communities that are expected to be most affected by climate's impacts tend to be those without the resources to easily adapt and build resilience and therefore need special attention 
for making sure those efforts at building resilience take account of the challenges of um, location, poverty, uh, historical inequalities that make those communities less resilient from an economic, a social, and ecological standing. And so some of that is about our historic neglect of, of air quality issues that disproportionately uh, have negative health impacts on uh, minority communities and higher levels of asthma in those communities and, and poor health outcomes that are directly connected to environmental, um, environmental causes and uh, up to recognizing that uh, energy poverty is a thing that is, needs to be addressed and that these um, climate smart technologies can't just be for those living in cities. It has to be ones that can reach some of our most vulnerable, such as uh, native peoples who are living at great distances from our built infrastructure. So this is a this is a, a realm that has uh, myriad possibilities for making a big difference, um, including, for example, decisions on on old energy, fossil fuel um, infrastructure and technology. So the, the revocation of the Keystone Pipeline permits, um, responding to often native peoples or local peoples who are going to be adversely affected by that infrastructure going through their um, their uh, properties, their lands, um, that's uh, perceived to be um, a, an area in which um, not only those kinds of specific actions, but the leadership that's been appointed. So the fact that we have um, a, a person whose family has literally been in what is now the United States for 35 generations at the Department of Interior, um, a, a Native person, former Congresswoman Holland, she, that, that's that sends a message that these issues that she has long been advocating for will have a voice and representation at the highest levels of government. How about the other side of that, though, Jeff, and, and talking about the the coal areas and, and losing jobs there and, and the fracking areas and losing jobs uh, there and the impact on those communities? Isn't that a two-sided coin? Of course. And I think that is a critical reminder that the transition to um, the, the needed transition in the face of climate change and the demands of, of reorienting uh, uh, the way we live, the way we move around, how we heat our homes, uh, what our homes are made of and, and where they're built, all that kind of um, uh, adjustment will have um We'll have winners and losers, and it's really the obligation to find ways to adapt and mitigate. And those who would, on the face of it, be appear to be losers have ways to try to mitigate, adapt, and become resilient. And so I think the programs that did start under the Obama administration um, were, were pursued, but with a very different strategy under the Trump administration. Uh, and are, are promised in developing under the Biden administration, we'll see economic development and building resilience in those his, uh, those communities that historically have been providing uh, fossil fuels and um, and are, are being adversely affected by these changes. Although I, I would say that I think many who have studied this uh, much longer than I will point to um, the mechanization in coal mining, 
the rise of availability of natural gas as a as a as a cheaper and and um, a preferred alternative to coal, some of those economic and industrializing uh, forces probably are uh, most important in understanding the decline of that of of that industry. I want to shift focus a, a bit to uh, Biden's cabinet as it relates to climate change. You, you mentioned the new <clears throat> Secretary of Interior. Uh, is climate change a thread running through many of his cabinet appointees? I, I think it is, whether it was intentional or not, and I, I'm sure it was. Um, you have not only new leadership with um, former Secretary, former Senator Kerry playing a, a, a White House um, special envoy, special assistant to the president on climate change with an international focus, rebuilding and re-engaging in the international front, or Gina McCarthy, also a high-level experience from the Obama administration EPA in a White House domestic climate role. You have people like Janet Yellen, um, former head of, of the Federal Reserve as the Treasury Secretary, and she has already signaled that it is critically important for um, for the economy as well as the environment to take climate change seriously. I think her quote was that climate change is an existential threat, not just to the environment, but also our economy. And so I think we can expect that there will be much greater sensitivity and attention and support for these efforts from um, departments that have not historically had that as a, a central consideration. I think something that may have uh, bypassed a, a lot of people, and and you brought it to my attention a day or so ago, uh, is uh, climate change being integrated into the State Department. Now, you talked about it being diffused across uh, various agencies and departments of the federal government, but I would say that for the last four years, we never heard the State Department talking about climate change in any way, shape, or form, uh, other than removing ourselves from various agreements. Uh, is this a significant change? And if so, how is it important? Yeah, um, I think it is a significant change in that um, the it's not just the State Department who, that formally has the role of sitting in the chair, literally at those diplomatic negotiations representing the United States and the the Paris negotiations and that 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 Paris process. Uh, and and so in that sense, it's not a change that climate change has been there. That diplomatic role has been there. What is definitely different is the priority it's getting the coordination between the White House and the State Department rather than one or the other, um, the priority that um, Secretary Blinken has given it, and that the guidance documents that came on foreign policy for the State Department, but also all the other agencies, notably the Department of Defense and Treasury and Homeland Security, they all were very explicitly given tasks and very short order um, instructions from, from President Biden that within 30 days and 60 days and 90 days, there were expected assessments and uh, steps, for, uh, steps forward and plans that were expected to um, have the 
climate change really go through all our diplomatic, political, economic, social, technological uh, engagements in ways that I think the, the foreign policy guidance that accompanied some of those early announcements, they had climate change was mentioned 27 times. I mean, in previous times, maybe once or twice and kind of upfront and rhetorically and, and not nearly so central. So I think it's, I don't like the word mainstreaming, but in many respects, this is about finding all the different, it, it, it embraces the notion that climate change has something for all agencies and departments, threats and opportunities. And um, this seems to be a much more systematic fashion of, of, of tasking the, all the parts of government to, to, to take that responsibility seriously. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate its students about today's communication industry, but to produce innovative leaders who will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership in communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society and by advancing the field through creative activity and research. The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provide benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Well, so far we've been talking about, uh, now this is my characterization, not yours, but uh, we've been talking about the easy things, the executive orders, the cabinet appointees, the uh, setting the tone uh, of an administration uh, actions notable in the first hundred days, but that goes without saying that there are tensions and conflicts, and I want to focus on those for a while. And I want to do this, if we could, Jeff, in, in two segments. I, I want to talk first about internal tensions that always exist within an administration, and then the second is I want to talk about the external politics uh, of this uh, in, in a more traditional political way. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it seems like um, not everything that President Biden is proposing in the climate change area would meet the needs of all cabinet areas. For example, um, buying uh, American at higher prices. Talk about that. Yeah, I think that's quite perceptive, Tom. I, I, the um, the challenges that will face the Biden administration will at times be competing priorities that they have, um, that they share both of those priorities. So, for example, um, there has been lots of attention to Buy America and pro-labor union and uh, putting Americans to work on... Um, across the board and doing that in ways 
that uh, address the challenges that we've had with COVID and the pandemic, and also face these climate change sets of challenges. I think when we get down to the specifics of what does that mean if we're going to scale up renewable energy and and empower uh, labor unions and buy take uh, buy America approach, that's going to be challenged in part in part because of what we spoke of earlier in terms of our absence of investment and development of those markets previously, and the fact that some of those inputs and products and technologies are are uh, being developed and and sold and provided more cheaply abroad, and so there are going to be some economic challenges. Well, there, what are the ways around that? One would be um, what they have already said, the Biden administration, that they're going to bring the power of the federal procurement policy to bear on this, so that it will create greater demand and and support a market that allows for the scale and synergies and efficiencies that would make Buy America uh, also um, more accessible uh, by cost and, um, and location and timing and such. Um, I think it also suggests that there will be um, significant investment in incentives and tax rebates and, and such that certainly have, have um, preceded this administration. They're not necessarily new, but they can be newly prioritized, they can be increased, they can be targeted towards trying to address some of these disconnects of, of the kind of multiple priorities that the administration um, uh, has simultaneously and kind of an internal tension between um, wanting to be pro-labor and pro-renewables, for example. Um, the other would be kind of um, uh, pipeline and drilling restrictions on, on public lands and you know, I know advocates would like it to be expanded on limitations on private as well. Um, and yet, the United States is um, you know, one of the world's largest fossil fuel producers, and natural gas by many are viewed as a bridge fuel, not um, something that we can we can stop or should stop uh, consuming uh, right away. And so, those are going to be tensions from those who feel they helped President Biden become president. And those are those are demands and things they'd like to see happen, and um, there those challenges will will persist. Let's move now to Congress for for a moment. And uh, one of the things that became a joke among journalists was uh, Trump's failed attempt, or perhaps invisible attempt at getting an infrastructure bill. Uh, journalists talk, talk about infrastructure week that never happened. Okay. Uh, I know that has, at least on the campaign trail, been a priority of President Biden to come up with some type of infrastructure uh, legislation. First of all, uh, before we get into the, the varying competing interests, what do you see that being, that infrastructure bill that, that he's talking about? Well, I think it, it sounds like from uh, emerging news reports just today that it may be bills rather than bill, and that may be part of the strategy of uh, some things where there are opportunities for uh, a bipartisan support in Congress, probably associated with traditional infrastructure of highways and bridges and dams and 
and such that that might not have uh, quite the explicit um, um, patina or engagement with the, the green dimensions, maybe one, and then uh, others that might go forward that are much more explicitly about building out the renewable energy uh, infrastructure that's needed that's about tra transmission lines and you know facilitating the infrastructure that's that's needed for uh, electric vehicles you know think of how do you bring to scale the, the we have the gas stations now for our for our gasoline powered vehicles what does the infrastructure need to be so that we can have um, a, you know a full fleet of uh, electric vehicles that those may be done in a separate bill that could go through um, a separate processes and processes of reconciliation, such as the one that just was used for um, the the American Rescue Act and the and the kind of post-COVID economic infusion of 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 resources into the economy that uh, just passed uh, along strictly partisan line votes. Well, it seems like uh, President Biden, though, is is. And maybe dividing them up is is a great strategy, but but it seems like he's caught betwixt and between, even in his own party. I mean, during the campaign and early in the primary, we heard the progressives in the Democratic Party talking about the the Green New Deal, and that that was a deal breaker if somebody wouldn't follow that. And then you have m many more moderates in the Democratic Party saying that th that's too extreme. And then if you look at the Senate, you've got Senator Manchin from West Virginia being the pivotal person uh, on on many votes. Uh, even within the Democratic Party, it seems like there, there are problems. Well, there are certainly a diversity of viewpoints that you're absolutely right would, would seem to be uh, if not insurmountable, very difficult to to get to yes. I think one of the areas that the um, those uh, termed the progressives who want a very forward leaning, those often affiliated with the Green New Deal uh, framing, are interested in um, uh, Majority Leader Schumer taking the the filibuster power off the table, so that. Um, these bills can uh, be passed with just a simple majority. Um, now, just to explain to people who may not understand filibuster, it takes 60% uh, to end a filibuster and therefore uh, arrive at a vote. So it equates to a 60% majority to pass most legislation, correct? Correct, which would mean that uh, just one one vote, uh, uh, um, which would mean that essentially the nothing could pass without some without uh, a, a agreement from all republicans and so it, it, it takes just one um and within the same party as in senator manchin or any of the republicans to really put a spanner in the works for big change and so that's one um ongoing debate that crosses not just this issue but many many issues all issues and um it seems that the president has signaled that he does not have the appetite for um, throwing that out uh, across the board. But is, I think um, stay tuned. There'll be there'll be more on this front. There may be no change, um, but it will be a continued uh, conversation um, for sure. I do think there there are ways to get to yes. Um, part of what's common for 
just about any infrastructure bill is that there are a lot of zeros. There's a lots of money. Um, the Democrats are bringing back a modified uh, means to do earmarks. So some of that money can be earmarked specifically to districts and um, the kind of maximum bringing home the bacon is the job of, of your member of Congress uh, made easier. Seems that some of the Republicans have indicated they're not going to engage in that. So maybe it's limited in terms of how it might entice uh, people to be willing to go in on bipartisan solutions. But I think um, it is, it's critically important. Um, and at the same time, I do think it's worth us stepping back and remembering that uh, while it's absolutely essential to focus on the federal government, um, that this issue is one that requires all segments of society to be engaged and in part because we have had these structural problems in getting um, aggressive action on these issues that the it, it, everybody hasn't sat around waiting, right? And not just our, uh, uh, our friends overseas, but whether that be the private sector mayors, governors, local communities, non-governmental organizations. This is a, an all hands on deck issue. And those areas, those, those arenas, those actors have um, really continued to push forward on these issues in many contexts. And, and for reasons that make sense, they're much closer to the ground and much more responsible and see those impacts and feel them most directly in ways that members of Congress are often insulated from. And so um, that is, uh, those are areas where we're seeing action and it's, it, it's tough to make it kind of aggregate and come together and be coherent and coordinated. Um, but it is important to remember that those, uh, those actions are critically important and are often our, they're often the leaders and the feds the followers. I know you mentioned uh, Janet Yellen earlier. Uh, let's talk about money for for a bit. Uh, research money, federal subsidies, uh, cost risk uh, relationships. Uh, is financial aspects of this taking on a new character? or a, a new persona? I would say yes, um, in, in a couple of different manifestations. Yes, in that uh, instances like this past year that had a historically high uh, cost associated with extreme weather events puts in stark relief, not just for the obvious um, private sector industries like insurance or reinsurance, um, but, uh, but it, it absolutely does. <laughs> Uh, right for whether that's the kind of constant now fire season and fire threats and in, in the predominantly in the in the west, or the increased frequency and intensity of storms associated with climate change that are buffeting our coastal areas, and and really raising fundamental questions about where where we should be living and having infrastructure and who should be ensuring it and providing services to that. That these are these are um, uh, kind of really fundamental discussions about where we live and how we live, and particularly in these kind of vulnerable areas that are becoming more and more vulnerable and have huge economic price tags associated with uh, with building back, especially when building back 
the same way and not adapting to make um, our infrastructure more resilient. And then I think also in uh, areas of, uh, of finance and money, so to speak, um, you see with um, Secretary Yellen's leadership, but also other um, agencies and, and departments of the federal government. So the Security and Exchange Commission um, really trying to find and signaling that they want a way that companies can disclose, um, uh, I think, what they called consistent, comparable, and reliable information on climate change. So if you're an investor in a company, then you actually know how at risk that company's supply chain or business model is, um, their profits are to climate change and what that means. And they're obvious ones like, how do you value a fossil fuel company if we're going to have increased um, costs of carbon, um, taxes on carbon, or we're going to transition away from their product. Um, but but there are many more, whether it's in food or, I mean, just to kind of cross the board, there are ways that do that. And right now that's um, not consistent and not comparable and not reliable. And so they want to set up ways that if they're, if a, if your if your money manager is offering you a green portfolio, they want to make sure that it is actually green and not just uh, green washing and green in name only. Um, and they want to make it uh, kind of because I think there's a recognition that this problem of addressing climate change and becoming climate resilient is so big that it will never be solved with just public money. It requires private capital. And so how can investments be made reliably attractive for private money to invest in in ways to to do that from a perspective that takes into account where we are now and where we're going in a in a warmer world one last area i want to talk to you about and that's on the international front uh, at the beginning of our conversation we talked about the paris peace uh, paris uh, accords uh, climate accords and um we talked about rejoining that. Um, however, that sounds easier than I presume that it is. If if I were one of the people who remained as part of those accords, I'd be going, yeah, you're coming back for four years and then you're going to bail on us again. Uh, you, how can you step in and want to take a leadership role uh, when you've been absent? for four years. Uh, talk about the dynamics of that and how important that is. Uh, it's critically important. And in some ways it is quite easy to rejoin, um, but then it's much harder to uh, re-engage in ways where we reestablish our leadership role and our leadership role because of the importance of the country, but also because we're walking the walk in addressing these problems. And we haven't taken them seriously. In fact, we've been quite uh, the opposite. We've obstructed and taken steps back for the previous four years. And so for starters, um, uh, Secretary Kerry has talked about uh, engaging and engaging humbly and seeing part of what is absolutely critical is that we uh, deliver at home in order to deliver abroad and that the, the that making the changes and action and investment at, on the home front will give us the legitimacy to have voice and leadership on the international front 
where we are we are both trying to address the problem and we are competing for leadership as we are in so many circles with other countries like China, the European Union, and Russia, and variety of uh, a variety of actors in a larger kind of geopolitical context. And so these things are connected. They're not operating in in isolation. Um, there are going to be um, key dates in this. Um, President Biden has announced he's going to have a climate summit uh, next month in April, where he will be raising that priority and, and inviting heads of state and government to um, to bring forward their their um, their demands and negotiating positions and bring that bring that to the fore in preparation for what has been a a delayed year, but now in November of this year, 2021, uh, the parties will come together in that same Paris process that goes back to the original UN Framework Convention on Climate Change from 1992 in Rio. Um, that the governments have, have historically come together every year to revisit those negotiations and, and um, and chart new paths and try to address that problem. And so in Glasgow, in the UK, we'll have uh, that happen again in November. And um, the world will be watching very closely but what Secretary Kerry uh, brings to the table uh, from the US delegation in terms of the commitments we're making at home and the resources we're prepared to contribute to international efforts. As a policy analyst and uh, a researcher, this has got to be an incredibly exciting time for you. It is. It's tremendously exciting. It does, though, feel like one's drinking from a fire hose because so much is coming <laughs> in, in so many different um, uh, avenues. We've had a, a climate-focused uh, discussion today, but if you were somebody focused on the future of public lands in this country or water quality or um, you know the kind of uh, or persist some of the the pollutants that we have um, largely turned a blind eye to in the last four years but have dramatic health consequences um, these are all areas where there's also rapid significant change between the previous administration and this administration so it is um, very much uh, across the board approach and uh, highlights how different the uh, um, the approaches were from the two administrations certainly gives um, great meaning and context and import to the uh, 2022 elections for control of the Senate in the House, uh, as well as the next presidential election, because we can see how big a difference um, the, the, the parties and the perspective of the uh, given administration has for what we are doing on these on these big challenges. Well, we know keeping up will be a challenge for you, but we also know you're up to the challenge. So uh, I hope you can come back uh, periodically and, and give us updates on on where we are. Uh, we're starting now in the first 100 days. We ought to recycle and, and come back later on and, and check out how we're doing. Oh, that'd be my pleasure, Tom. That'd be great. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Today, we're joined by Dr. Jeffrey DeBelco talking to us about the alterations in U.S. climate change policies in the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. 
I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about any of our podcasts or have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. Thank you.